<clears throat> this October, first Sunday of October is uh, my 40th year here as the pastor, and uh, thank you. And I started when I was 28 years old, and right off the farm, the dairy, and so I was dumber than a fence post, and had no clue what I was doing. I didn't particularly like people, much preferred cows, uh, easier to figure out. And so the first years of ministry were tough uh, in the sense that I made a lot of mistakes, did a lot of things uh, that, were, uh, that irritated people, offended people, so it was constant uh, sort of turmoil. And uh, oh, I think in the late 80s I went to a seminar that was supposed to help me become a good pastor. And it was down in Los Angeles, and I, I remember uh, there were a lot of things said, but one particular thing just penetrated my heart, and uh, the, the speaker said, you have to love the church the way Jesus loves the church, as the body and the bride of Christ. You have to love the church the way Jesus does when he gave his life for the church on the cross. And then he said, you can't do that if you just look at people and see all the problems, and if you just look at programs, if you just look at buildings, that's really not the church. You have to learn to look through all of that and to see what Jesus sees. And as he talked about it, I was reminded of my father teaching me how to fish. Uh, when we would walk along a river or a, a creek or a stream, he could see the fish in there. And I'd look, all I'd see was the water. And he said, you've got to look through the water. You've got to focus on the bottom, not on the top. If you work at it, if you focus on the bottom, you'll look right through the, uh, the sheen of the top of the creek, and you'll be able to see the fish. But you have to work at it, but pretty soon you'll be able to see them through the surface. And as he explained about what it meant to love the church, to look through all the surfacey stuff, all the problems, all the issues, and to see down into the core, to see what Jesus sees, and then recommit every day your love for the bride and the body of Christ, then you'll be driven by right motives and you'll be blessed by God. And it took a little bit of time, but I remember every day saying, Jesus, I'm choosing to love your bride the way you do. Help me to do that more and more every day. And uh, so now I usually say, I love you. I didn't this morning. I thought I'd save it for right now. I love you. And so when I say that, I'm not saying, uh, you know, I like you. I probably do. Uh, when I say I love you, I'm not saying I'm going to, uh, you know, give you a hug. I'm probably not. But I am saying that uh, I'm committed to you, uh, and uh, I love you the way Jesus loves the body of the bride of Christ. And I want to do everything that I can for his bride to become beautiful without spot, wrinkle, or blemish and that someday we'll stand before him in, as holy and pure and beautiful forever. And so each of us have that role to be able to do uh, and to think about the bride in a way that's different than the world does. It's you know, a collection of people that have problems, but beneath the surface there's uh, something that Jesus died for, gave his life for, that's going to live with him forever. And I'm part of it, and you are as well. So we're going through the book of First and Second Thessalonians. Now, this is a letter written by Paul to a church, and this was a really good church, healthy church, strong church, his favorite church. And so we think about what we want to become as a church. This is a good model. 
And so we started a couple of weeks ago. Let me read to you again the first chapter of 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. They themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. So that's chapter 1, and we want to look at a characteristic of the church from that passage this morning. In your notes, if you would like to pull those out, number one, Paul started many churches. He started the church of Thessalonica, and he started dozens and dozens of churches uh, in this area in a few short years. He started many churches. They grew, the gospel spread rapidly, even though he spent little time at the churches. And so it wasn't... Uh, Paul sometimes would come into a town and, and uh, begin preaching, and people would come to Christ, and he would start a church. And, and from the time he started, and he got there until the time he left, would be like a week. And he would take off and go to another place and start another church. And his churches that he started, even though he was there for a short amount of time, would flourish and grow and be strong and healthy as a rule. And there was a book written 1962 called The Missionary Methods of St. Paul. I read it uh, when I first started pastoring and uh, his church planting methods, missionary methods, and I remember reading it and thinking, I'm going to do what Paul did. It obviously worked for him. Here's a passage in the book of Acts that sort of pictures that. Acts 14, 19, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul. Now, Paul was winning so many people, so many Jews to Jesus, the Jews hated him, and so they, they stoned him. Now, this is how they executed people. They would get around him in a circle and they would throw these softball rocks at him and basically literally bury him. And, uh, and so that's what they did. And so there's Paul buried up with rocks. It says, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. His disciples were standing around kind of wondering, what now? Our leader's dead. And he got up. I wonder what that felt like. I mean, and there's no record here that he said, well, that hurt. Anybody got a Tylenol? Uh, he just gets up, and he goes into the city. The next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derbe after they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium, to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed they passed through Pisidia, came into Pamphylia. When they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that, that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. 
Then in Acts 19, this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. I mean, that's amazing. No electronics, no cars, no telephones, no printing press, no books. And I uh, started dozens and dozens of churches, and in the two-year span through the ministry of the Apostle Paul, everybody heard the gospel. Uh, and so what was it that he did? Number two, the first thing he did is he trained people uh, that he left behind when he started the church. So wherever Paul went, he always had about a dozen guys with him. And as they walked from city to city, he would teach them and train them, hands-on training, and then he would teach them along the way. And so when they would go into a city like Derby or like Thessalonica, and he would uh, set up uh, a little crusade and he would preach the gospel and people would come to Jesus and they would start meeting and he'd say, okay, I'm leaving you here. And they'd take off to the next city. And so because he trained them so well, they would lead and teach and the church would grow under the leadership, basic principle, everything rises and falls in leadership that's well trained. And so from the book, uh, the missionary methods, the church planting methods the, uh, of the Apostle Paul, I decided I needed to do that. And so I teach a leadership class Saturday evenings of guys. I teach a leadership class uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Tuesday morning at 5.30 and 6.30 and 7.30 and Wednesday and Thursday at 6 o'clock and uh, start some others as well. Uh, and any of you want in, you're welcome to get in. It's mostly just uh, learning how to set goals and making goals and then um, learning how to influence as a leader your family, your wife, your neighbors, people you work with, and then taking on ministry. Uh, every ministry in our church is run by someone that uh, I don't do it. Um, I just teach leadership and preach and then fish <laughs> whenever I get a chance. But Paul did that, and it works. Titus wrote the book of Titus to Titus, a guy he had trained. He said, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains, point elders in every city as I directed you. So that was one of Paul's key methods. Second thing he did, number three, the second reason that churches that he started were healthy is because he prayed for them a lot. He prayed for them a lot, and God blessed. So Paul believed in the power of prayer, and he writes a number of prayers and letters to the churches about what he actually prayed for them. And so I've memorized all these prayers that Paul prayed, and I pray them for you. And so I have you all in my iPad and I pray through every individual in our church, kids included, every week. It takes a while to pull that one off. Many of you, I've downloaded pictures from Facebook, by the way. If you think I don't have your picture, mail it to me and I'll put it in my... It's so much easier to pray for you when I can see what you look like and I remember your name as well. And then I'll put it in there. Uh, when I say I love you, that's one of the commitments is I pray for you every week. Uh, so as I chat with you, read prayer requests, uh, I write those in there uh, for you. And I, and I pray that God will work. And I pray especially these prayers of Paul. First Thessalonians 1, again, this is the church we're studying. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 is the, really the, my favorite prayer. 
For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of His will, that you would be filled with the knowledge of His will for your life and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The result would be, here five things. You will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. You would please Him in all respects, in every detail of your life. You'd bear fruit in every good work. You'd increase in the knowledge of God. That is, your walk and relationship with Him would become increasingly more intimate, and you'd be strengthened with His power. Um, So that's what He does, God. When I pray for you, Paul believed that. That's why his churches grew, because even though he wasn't there, he would intercede for them constantly over and over and over and over again. Romans 1, 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you always in my prayers making requests, always unceasingly praying for you. Ephesians 1, 15, For this reason too, having heard of the faith and the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart, that's the heart, uh, the eyes of our heart, the inner person may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Philippians, the church of Philippi, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. This I pray that your love may abound more and more. This I pray that your love may abound more and more. Number four, there are amazing promises from Jesus in regards to prayer that most people don't experience. They don't experience. That is, when they pray, nothing happens. Because of wrong focus, that's wrong motives, Low desire, you really don't want it that badly, and little sacrifice, uh, you don't give that much time to your prayers, and therefore God doesn't answer. The promises, though, are powerful. John 14, truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking before he leaves to heaven, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now, that's an amazing promise. Again, in John 15, you did not choose me. I chose you, appointed you, that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Number five, there are prayers that we pray that God is not going to answer, period. So what would that be, that prayer that he's not going to answer, period? Well, that would be prayers that we pray for ourselves, that we would have comfort, no problems, pain-free life, more money, nicer car, nicer recliner, bigger house. Uh, You could pray those so you're blue in the face. We're going to heaven, and we're going to live there forever. We get a new body when we get there. When we get there, there's going to be zero problems. It's going to be amazing, indescribable, incomprehensible, what we receive because he's given us the gift of eternal life in heaven. Then there's a group over here. They don't 
know Jesus. They've never trusted him as their savior. And when they die, they're not going to heaven. They're going to eternity uh, in hell. And so we have a job as a church, as a people, and that is to reach people in prayer. Praying for people who do not have the hope of eternal life is what we ought to be about and praying for each other that we would grow and become like him. James says, you ask and do not receive. You ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures, on yourself. You adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Number six, God responds to our desire. Our desire, heart, passion, love, compassion, concern for others, for others. So I don't pray uh, much for me other than that I would preach really, really well so that it would impact your life and that you'd understand it. Um, I pray a lot for you. And the more we pray for others with desire and compassion, the more impact we have in the life of people as we would pray for them. Psalms 18.6, in my distress. You know what grieves me uh, is people going sideways. That is, not closer to the Lord, not mature, not strong, not devoted to Him, but drifting away because they are in love with the world and they forget about God and they they make him second, third, fourth place in the life. And, and, when, and I see it, I think, I wish I could fix that. I wish I could do something. Uh, and, and so I, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God. He heard my voice out of his temple. My cry for help before him came into his ears. God honors uh, desire and passion on behalf of others. But we really, really want to make a difference. It can be your kids, your grandkids your neighbors, your friends, uh, people in our church where you just see needs and issues and you plead for God on their behalf. Number seven, a basic measurement of our desire for what we are praying for is the price and time we're willing to pay. So Jesus paid a huge price for my sin. He died on a cross. He left heaven. The sins of the world were put on him and he was punished in our place by the Father. It was a great price. And so I'm now serving him on behalf of people, and uh, he honors those who pay a price, and the price is simply time. I do, uh, when I talk to pastors, one of the things I say regularly is, <clears throat> farmers, ex-farmers make the best pastors. They look at me like I'm telling a joke. Say, no, no, I'm serious. Really? During the time that Jesus lived and the time that Paul wrote, wrote and lived, almost everybody was farmers. They understood that, and so the illustrations were farming illustrations. God just created the world in such a way that you understand Him. And theology through creation and farming is like the best. And if you are a farmer or an ex-farmer, you'll understand the Bible better than most. And so, you know, most people's understanding of prayer is uh, eating dinner. Please pass the potatoes. That's your idea of what prayer is. A simple request, and then you're done. They either pass them or they don't. God either does it or he doesn't. See, prayer is like farming. You plant the seed, 
And then you water it, and you weed it, and you wait, and you wait patiently, and you keep on taking care of it months and months, and then you get a crop. But if you give up and you stop, and so that's what prayer is in the Bible, is that you plead, and you intercede, and you keep on keeping on asking and seeking on behalf of someone, and then he works Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds to him who knocks it will be opened. That means ask and ask and ask and ask and keep on asking over and over. Luke 18, Jesus was telling them a parable to show that all times they ought to pray. All times they ought to pray and not lose heart. That's like farming. Saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God, did not respect man. There was a widow in that city. She kept coming to him saying, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, continually coming, she will wear me out. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice? For his elect who cry to him day and night, who cry to him day and night. So I can make a huge difference. You can make a huge difference in people around you that you live next door to, that you work with. Uh, if you pray, it's going to require uh, some perseverance in order for that to happen. Number eight, um, your prayer life needs to become systematic. That is, it's got to a level of organization to it where you continue to do it. So I have an iPad, and I have an app in my iPad called Praying for One Another, and I can go to Facebook and look you up and find a picture, and I can boom, put it right in my, my prayer app. And I can take a picture with you of my phone and, and download and put it right in my prayer app, and I can type in information about you that I read in the prayer letter or I get when I talk to you and I can put it in there and I scroll down, it's there alphabetically and when I get to the end, I, get, I push a little marker and the next time I get to it, it opens right to that spot. Uh, and then I have a place to put uh, when I finish so I know how often goal every week to do it. Every week to do it. It works really good uh, and so it's systematic. Every person, every week is my commitment. Acts 3, 1, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, that was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That's when they prayed. 3 o'clock in the afternoon at the temple. Time and a place. Time and a place. Acts 10, 9. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour. That's noon. On the roof of his house at noon. Time and a place. Daniel six ten. Daniel knew that the document was signed. He entered his house. Now in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. He continued kneeling on his knees three times a day praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously, time and a place. So I'm really big into sacrifice, and so I pray in bed. I have one of those beds. Uh, my kids kind of worked it out uh, when, because of my Parkinson's. They got this hospital bed. It makes it in the back, cranks up, and the feet crank up. I got a little control. And so I can get in bed, raise up the back, raise up the feet, and I have a little stand right there, and I put a glass of juice, a cup of coffee, and I have my iPad, and I, every night I pray for an hour minimum uh, for you all, and I go down through it, and I write notes, and I pray. Uh, and then when I get sleepy, fall asleep, 
Uh, I turn it off and set it, put the marker on. Next night, the same thing. I get through it every week, all of you. That's my place in my time where I do nothing but focus on God, nothing but focus on what I'm praying for. And uh, God works when I do that. The first step, number nine, make a commitment. If you just do it in your head, it won't last, you won't do it. Write it down. Make a commitment. Fifteen minutes is a great place to start. Anybody can pray fifteen minutes a day. It doesn't take a whole lot out of your schedule. You can do it in the morning when you first get up. You can do it in the evening. You can do it at noon. Get up at midnight if you don't have another time to work. Just fifteen minutes. Pray and then go back to sleep. A time and a place. Um, Another place I pray is my hot tub. I said I'm into sacrifice. Great place to pray. 30 minutes. Uh, number 10, the second step, get, uh, get and use a prayer notebook. So either write it down, use a, a smartphone, iPad, something, but keep records, keep track. Start with people you work with, you live next door to, you're related to that aren't believers, that don't know Jesus, and pray for them every day. Five, six, seven. Seven for heaven is what we call them. People that you can pray for every day, every day, every day. Simple prayer. Lord, would you work in their life? Would you draw them to yourself? Would you open their eyes? And after you pray for them every day, every day, God will do something amazing. He will just sort of open a little bit of door for you. They'll say something to you, and there'll be an opportunity for you to respond with the difference he's made in your life, invite them to church. Uh, But if you pray for them 15 minutes a day, you can do that. You can pray for your kids, your grandkids, your neighbors. You can pray for me. You can pray for other people in the church, and you make a huge difference. But you've got to have something in writing. Keep track. It'll keep your brain focused on what you're doing if you have a prayer journal. <clears throat> Eleven, the third step establishing is to ask somebody to hold you accountable. A pride, the ultimate pride is thinking you can do something really important faithfully with no one to help you. I can do it by myself. We weren't created capable of doing things like praying every day for people on our own without getting, uh, just forgetting about it, getting so busy with our job and our house and our lawn and our dog and our fishing and our activities that we just simply forget. I have to confess. I went rafting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on the Rogue River. Awesome trip. And I wanted to make sure I prayed while I was there, so I took my my phone, it's a big one of those iPhone, the 6 Plus jobby, and it's got everything in it that's on my iPad, and, and I brought a battery. I have a battery for it uh, that will ch- recharge it six times. It's not very big either. But I forgot the cord that goes from the battery to the phone. I, I don't know why, I just forgot it. And so the battery was dead before we even got to the f- first day of rafting, and so I didn't pray for you on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. And in fact, my Bible is on it. I didn't read my Bible on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. So if you had a bad day on Tuesday, I'm sorry. I try to make up for it on Thursday and Friday, though, when I got home. And so it's just sort of those things, the the electronic uh, era. So have a system. Don't forget the little cord that goes between your battery and your phone if you're using that one. Twelve, the fourth step is to take advantage of opportunities to pray with others in your church. We have lots of prayer times in our church. Look in the bulletin. You'll see them all week long. We have five-day prayer events. Now, there's a whole lot of you that say to me, you know, I'm really timid about praying out loud with other people. I'm fr- you know where that comes from? That's put there by demons. 
They do not want you praying together with others because it is the most powerful force against the kingdom of darkness. And so they have no defense against it other than to put thoughts in your head. And so, oh, I can't do that. Sure you can. And you don't want those uh, little demons to win. You want to win. So just choose to do it. Pray with others. It's amazingly powerful, and it changes your prayer life. And God blesses your private prayer life if you would do that. Thirteen, the church at Thessalonica was Paul's favorite, a great church, because they were reaching the lost with the gospel. They were reaching the lost with the gospel, and that's our responsibility. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who don't know Jesus. You know, people tend to think... Our country's kind of going downhill, and we, we blame the government. It's not the government's fault. It's the church's fault. The church is the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and if the salt of the earth loses its savor, it's good for nothing. And so we've gotten so busy with the world doing what the world does, we don't have time to do what God's called us to do, and that is to pray. When we would pray, God would work, and the more we would pray, the more He would work the more people would come to Christ. 14, God gave prayer to us as a tool to accomplish this super important task. He gives us something to do that's impossible, but then he gives us prayer. And he says, if you ask, I work. If you intercede, I'll change people from the inside out if you'll take the time. You know how few people who are headed for heaven forever and ever and ever, how few even give 15 minutes a day intercede for others hardly anybody does and so we're the problem and it's easy to change just make a commitment make a goal get somebody to hold you accountable write it down the people you're praying for and then once you get it down every day 15 minutes a day then increase it just a skosh just a little bit and a little bit somebody came up to me last night and said you know you preached on this a couple months ago and I'm up to 45 minutes every day 7 days a week 45 bless you you are a warrior. You're a world changer. Uh, anybody can do that, really. You just make it happen. Make the commitment, get the notebook, get the iPad, do whatever it takes. Uh, I'd hold anybody accountable that wants me to, but that's what makes the church great, is a bunch of people that pray for each other, pray for their neighbors and their friends and their family. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this amazing power we have given to us by you. We can change our world, our neighborhood. We can change our family, our kids. But you won't take this, this token, convenient, easy praying that most people are into. You want praying that costs us something, that takes some time, that's full of passion and desire. I was not interested in comfort, but, Lord, in, in reaching people, making a difference. I pray that we would be devoted to prayer, each one of us, as an act of our will, because we know believe that you will work when we do. Make us a praying